0: Connoisseurs of Central Europe think Budapest is actually more fun than Prague. Budapest was two cities, Buda and Pest, that grew together to become one. Just over 1,100 years ago, the rampaging Magyar people settled on Buda Hill. This has been the capital of the Hungarians ever since. And just over the Danube River, the town of Pest, which is the Slavic word for oven, has long been appreciated for its mineral baths. While the city has always been hot geologically, today it's hot for travelers, too. Its many visitors are charmed by Danube cruises, flamboyant architecture, romantic riverside promenades, and plenty of venerable hot springs. A spicy cuisine, fiery musicians, and a tough 20th century all add to the complex mix that is Budapest. I'm Rick Steves, and up next, we discover why the fun city of the former Warsaw Pact remains an entertaining crowd-pleaser today. It's Budapest on Travel with Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and I'm Rick Steves, and today I'm traveling with you to Budapest, the capital of not only the capital of Hungary, I think it's fair to call it the capital of Eastern Europe. It's a city of nuance and paradox, cosmopolitan, complicated, and challenging for the first-timer to get a handle on. But seasoned travelers enjoy this grand city more with each return visit. Though Prague and Krakow have more romance and more tourist crowds, travelers in the know find that Budapest might be Eastern Europe's most fascinating and rewarding destination. I have with me today two guides from Budapest, Levant Nagy and Itelka. Páriné Sorry for that, but this is a complicated language. We'll learn more about that. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. We'll go first names Itelka and Levant, right? Levanta, yes. Levanta. All right. And uh, Itelka, you are a school teacher in high school in Hungary. You're teaching yeah. English and Russian? English
1: and Russian. Actually, I am teaching only English from 1990. Uh, before 1990, I was teaching only Russian.
0: So the demand of of learning Russian dropped out after 1990. I'm
1: really sorry for about it because I love the languages and I love the cultures of different people. Yeah. Whenever I have time to practice the languages, whether it's English, Russian, German, I stop in the street or on the marketplaces and I start conversations and invite people into my house even if we make uh, friendships.
0: If you connect in Russian. Yeah, I remember when I was traveling in in Hungary back in those days and uh the very popular Russian phrase was I forget exactly ya glub glub Gorbachev.
1: Ya Горбачева. Gorbacheva. What does that mean? Uh I love you, Gorbachev.
0: I love Gorbachev. So we, we have I heart whatever in our in our bumper stickers and so on. All across Eastern Europe, it was ya glub-glub Gorbachev. Glub glub Gorbachev.
1: Lube, Lube, Gorbacheva.
0: Yeah, well, that was a long time ago, it seems like now. And half the people you meet in your travels throughout Central and Eastern Europe, they have no living memory of communism. It's been a long time, and there's been huge changes. Thanks for joining us, and we won't be speaking Russian in this interview. We'll be speaking English, and, and your English is beautiful. And Levante, you've got a different story. You spent your first 25 years in Hungary, and then what happened? That's right. I, uh, I grew up
2: on the Buddha side of Budapest, and uh, after 25 years, I decided to see another part of the universe and wanted to see New York City in particular. And, and this was like two
0: years after freedom or something, and you had the um, opportunity to go. That's right.
2: It was in 1990. Actually, we could have traveled sooner. Hungarians were allowed to travel. So
0: Hungarians were more uh, free to travel than your eastern neighbors. Much more so, yes,
2: yes. A lot of my friends had been to... The United States by then. What uh, prevented us from being able to travel more to the West was just uh, purely monetary, whether we had the funds to U.S. dollars in particular.
0: Now, every time I see your last name, it's Nagy, N-A-G-Y, but pronounced Naj. Correct. I think of Imre Naj. That's right. <laughs> no and I, relation I just, whatsoever. And, and Imre Naj, to me, he was a very charismatic and inspirational, courageous leader when Hungary was trying to get a little freedom from the Soviet Union, is that right? Right, right. Give a little thumbnail thing about Imre Nagy.
2: He was a revolutionary. He was a very cautious person in the beginning, and he was the leader of the opposition movement during the 1956 revolution. And there's a huge gamble uh, when the Russians came in and took over um, or enforced the previous occupation. He was tried and hanged, unfortunately. Yeah, he had an
0: inglorious ending, didn't he? They really wanted to make a point to discredit him.
2: Just awful, awful. He was buried um, in an unmarked grave in the outskirts of Budapest. Um, But my last name is, yes, it's, it's a very common Hungarian last name.
0: But courageous people like Imre Nagy back in the 50s would have maybe planted a few seeds that would sprout into more viable freedom movements later on.
2: Oh, definitely so. In fact, after the revolution, I think the Russians handled Hungary very differently from the rest of the eastern blocs, and they let us travel more. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always very careful with Hungarians, as long as they yeah. knew we had enough to eat. And uh, That's uh, quite a compliment to the people of Hungary, I think. Uh, we think so. They respected so. you. Yes, small nation. It's fascinating
0: know. to read about that uh, 1956 uh-huh. uprising that you had. Now, in the 80s, you were into music in Budapest, is that right? That's
2: right, yes. I was working for uh, an -uh, English-Hungarian joint venture promoting rock and roll business.
0: In the 80s, in in communist (laughs) Hungary, basically. (laughs) That's right. Now, when I go to uh, dance places in Eastern Europe in this century, there is actually kind of a retro movement where you have disco music from the Warsaw Pact in the 1980s that has really political... Themes. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: There were some bands that had uh, the lyrics were a little double entendre, double meaning. Was it a powerful voice
0: politically the popular music, or was it all? You know what I?
2: I think that uh, the Hungarian character is just uh, tend to be so cynical that I thought a lot of these were not really powerful or or encouraging, more so the complaining type. But it's still got the message across, I think.
0: I'm so fascinated by this whole story because to me, to travel in Hungary and, and Budapest is a chance to see a success story because now uh, you wouldn't hardly recognize Budapest today from, from just 20 years ago. And let's get it right. It's Budapest? Correct, and that historically was two different cities, Buda right. and Pest. And you said you grew up in Buddha. On the Buddha side, of course. So uh, were you proudly a well,
2: Buddha guy? Oh, absolutely. It's a little bit like uh, New York and New Jersey. Is that right? You have to be from the right side, yes. So what's the difference? Uh, Buddha is the side more picturesque, uh, a little bit more yeah, white-collar and, and uh, historic. And uh, Pest uh, is a little bit less charming, more business-like, and tends to be a little bit blue-collar and...
0: Well don't get get a little more spirited in your in your distinction. I mean why would you be proud to be from Buddha, not because it's hilly?
2: Uh no, it's just more traditional, it's more historic. It, to me there's a there's a lot of history okay. there. Like the main street within a mile there are seven churches. You know, it's just fascinating. And
0: Pesht is a flat, sprawling, commercial. a flat, commercial. commercial. Yeah. Exactly. So the commercial stuffs on the other side of the river, yes, and the yes, stately churches and castles and history. Right. And
2: everybody would love to live on the Buddha side,
0: but higher, the, higher real estate costs. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And actually, Pesht is uh, consisted of three parts: Pesht Buddha and Obuda. Obuda is the old Buddha, and uh, I'm sure you know that uh, there was settlement in Obuda, in Old Pest 2,000 years ago. Uh, That's right, the,
0: it went back to Roman times. It well, really.
1: went back to Roman times, and the the center of the settlement was Aquincum, aquincum and in the word aqua, it means water. Okay. So it shows that what a great water culture we have. How hot is Budapest? Well, you're on the Danube, for <laughs> on one the thing. Danube. You're straddling yes. the Danube,
0: Danube. And, and they say if you dig down, you'll find hot springs. Yeah. That's right. Everywhere there's hot
1: springs. Everywhere. Just in Budapest, more than one hundred springs, hot springs.
0: And I guess it's just impractical to call the city Budapest Obud. So mm-hmm. they call it all grew together. And now right. and it's not Budapest. No, says it's Budapest. Budapest. Budapest.
1: In Hungarian, when you write the S we pronounce S. And uh-huh. when you write S and Z we pronounce S.
0: Now, when I go to Budapest and compare it to other cities, the the river is more of a divider because it's such a big river at that point. So it it kind of makes two distinct towns, and the bridges are massive bridges. I'm thinking of what's called the chain. You call it the chain, chain bridge. bridge. This is like a like a giant bridge, and it makes me feel very small. And the city is that way in a lot of ways. It's a grand city. It's not as cozy and easy to be cute with as Prague or Krakow. Which, you know,
2: there are some benefits to that. Uh, If you go to Prague, when I'm in Prague, I feel um, it's very compact, very condensed, and there's just tourists every street corner. Whereas, while you're in Budapest, the tourists are more spread out, I feel less... uh, less It's
0: it's less of a Disney kind of thing. (laughs) It's it's not so, like a cute, uh, traditional foreground.
1: I agree with Levente. I love Prague. It's true. But uh, Prague actually has got a smaller center. If you walk uh, through the Old Town Center and the uh, Charles Bridge up to the hill, you're done. Two hours walk. But in Budapest, I couldn't say that there is just one main center. Uh, the capital is divided into several centers, like the Hero Square and its surroundings, or the famous Váci Street, the shopping center with the Market Square and the Gerbo Zher- Café, the Vörösmartitér, or if we go to the Buda side, the castle area,
0: it's like London. There's, it's a collection of, of, of neighborhoods. neighborhoods. neighborhoods so yeah. Also, Budapest, I think, is famous as being a melting pot. It's a very complicated ethnographic situation.
1: Melting pot and meeting point, I would uh, characterize, uh, meeting point of uh, the Eastern European countries. And it is called, uh, I don't know whether you have heard, the Paris of East.
0: Now, why would you call it the Paris of the East?
1: Uh, you know, uh, Paris... Is a wonderful capital in the west part of the uh, of Europe, and Budapest has got a so called champs elysées, the Andrassy Street. It's That's very, sim- very similar to uh, Paris. And under that street
0: is the first subway in all of Europe, I That's believe. Correct. That's correct. Even right. earlier than London's. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: the first on the continent.
0: And it's a fascinating subway because it's just they peeled up the road and they built it down maybe ten meters. That's right. And you've got like fifteen steps to go down, and there's the train. And originally it was horse drawn, I, I believe. Yeah. And it was just a straight shot right down the, the Grand Boulevard of the city. That must have been quite a, a, a proud thing to have that mass transit back in the 19th century. That's right. That was a little bit before our time, but yes, indeed. You don't remember that? <laughs> no, no, okay. <laughs> Here at Travel with Rick Steves, we think of our listeners as travel partners and offer lots of ways to participate. If you're feeling creative, send us a poem. Here are some original haiku we thought you'd enjoy from some of our traveling
1: listeners. Maureen Mullen from Virginia Beach writes us this poem she composed about Venice. She whispers... Venice is sinking, she whispers as Vivaldi plays. Couples sway while the earth boat floats on water, rising. Reaching for a hand, firmly tucked away in pockets closed to a lover's grasp. Palazzos and pigeons, gondolas in moonlight, bridges that sigh. She wonders, is Venice sinking, or am I?
0: Again, we'd like to receive a haiku from you about your travels, or send us a short brag about your hometown. Look for details from our 15 Seconds of Fame link. It's in the radio corner at ricksteves.com. Italka Perina Barretz and Levente Nagy are our guests from Hungary. They share their enthusiasm for their capital city, Budapest, today on Travel with Rick Steves. They'll take your calls in a moment at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. And our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Don't forget, you can always add your comments to the feedback forum on our website, It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com.
1: My name is Páriné Berecz Etelka. I am from Hungary, and I'm going to tell you a tongue-breaker. Az ipafai papnak fapipája van, mert az ipafai fapipa papi fapipa. In English, the priest from ipafa has got a wooden pipe. Uh, and in Hungarian, once more. Az ipafai papnak fapipája van, mert az ipafai fapipa papi fapipa.
0: We're learning about the cultural powerhouse in Central Europe. It's Budapest on today's Travel with Rick Steves. To get intimate with Hungary's vibrant capital, for so long the fun city of the region, we're joined by two of my Hungarian tour guide friends, Etelka and Levente. We'll take your calls about travel to Budapest now at 877 333 Rick. Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Vicky in Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, Vicky. Great. Thanks for your call. Thanks. What do you think? Got any ideas or questions about uh, Budapest?
3: Well, I visited Budapest um, several years ago. My husband's active duty military, and so we were actually able to live in Germany. years. And um, so my son and I, during one of the deployments, had gone over to Budapest. Absolutely beautiful. The city, we loved uh, the goulash. Um, but what I was surprised to find out after I got back was um, apparently where I had heard this uh, through my work, but that there's a lot of problems with uh underground human trafficking in uh, Budapest. I didn't know if that if that had gotten any better over the years or if the government there had um, looked into it a little bit more. I know that that's something that a lot of, you know, governments kind of turn their backs on that... Um, okay,
0: so I'm, prostitution, you mean?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Well, like, human trafficking, and not just the prostitution, but that um, the young women are actually enslaved. They're, they're lured with promises of modeling or legitimate jobs, and then their passports are taken away, and they're forced to, like, work them back.
0: Uh, Levante, Atalka, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I I think it's a, a
2: more, more of a problem uh, east of Hungary. Okay. Um, I hear a lot of Romanians and Bulgarians are tricked into doing that. Um, I think Hungarians have had an opportunity to travel more, so uh, these faraway lands are not as exotic or unattainable for the young girls to go to, and a lot of them can afford to do that anyway. I don't think it's a real issue. I think prostitution may be an issue, and it's somewhat tolerated in Hungary. And unfortunately, some of the young girls find it an easy way to make a quick buck, so to speak. But uh, I I think the human trafficking, it might be a transit location. Hungary might be a transit location from uh, other Eastern European
0: countries. Now, historically, at least in the days after the fall of the wall, I remember that the borders were lined with girls uh, doing business with truck drivers, and that right. was quite famous for travelers. As you drove across borders, you'd invariably see prostitutes on the roadside in the middle of nowhere.
2: But uh, to be fair, a lot of times those were not Hungarian girls. They'd be Russian girls, with them. Or, yes. For, or or for, yeah. uh, Eastern European farther Eastern. And
1: I remember uh, really uh, on the roads there were girls, but it was— five, ten years ago. Now yeah. it's not a big problem.
0: I don't, I've never noticed okay. that as a problem, Vicky. You know, but, but Budapest has always been the Western uh, hedonistic sort of center in the, in the communist days. Uh, that's where people of Eastern Europe would go to get Western magazines and to get easy access to Western music or, or these kind of things. Does it still have a little bit of that uh, wild and edgy sort of atmosphere or is that a thing of the past now? I think it's a thing of the past. Yeah, it really was a a function of the communism and you had your goulash communism, which was a little bit more freewheeling. Right. Vicky, thanks for your call. Thanks.
3: Vicky. Thank you so much. Thanks.
0: And Walter's on the line in San Francisco. Hi, Walter. Hello, how are you today, Rick? Good. Thanks for your call.
4: Great. It's a pleasure. You know, I've been traveling to Europe for probably twenty five years now. I lived in London for about four or five years. And my wife and I get your books, and we still learn new things and from your podcast. and It's really great, so thank you.
0: Well, you know, if you learn new things from my book, it's because I'm learning new things from people like Levante and Etelka. So it's a great oh, system, you. isn't it? Thanks thank for you. keeping yeah. us in business.
4: Well, we fo- my wife and I finally made it to Budapest. We were there for about three days and had a spectacular time, and it really is the Paris of the East. That was what we kept comparing it to. Um, but one question that we have, we found one of the, where everyone talks about the baths, I think what really impressed us was the Museum of Terror, which was a very moving and very powerful, powerful museum. And other than we wish there was more things in English in it.
0: Now, that's called the House of Terror, I The House believes. of Terror, couldn't yeah.
4: me. And, but we got to the very end, and there was this little plaque It talked about, I think, collaborator, what does it mean, and it talked about if you were a bureaucrat or if you scheduled trains or if you even did anything, you were part of this whole thing. And you walk through the narrow exit and there's all these photos of the people. And it, I noticed that a lot of them are still alive. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what the people in Budapest think when they go by and they see these pictures and, oh, that could be my neighbor or the guy who works on my car or something, or they know these people. Um, what's, I guess what's been the reaction to that? Because I would think it would be very controversial.
0: So that's the powerful thing. Now, they've just opened up a new museum in Budapest called the House of Terror, and it is designed, I think, for locals as well as tourists. And the powerful thing is that you got, it's a museum or a memorial or a documentation center for the secret police, both from the Nazi time and from the communist age. And the poignant thing is the relatives of the victims who were tortured and killed are still alive, and the judges and the police and the, the bad guys are now free and they've never been brought to justice and they live just around the block from the victims and their loved ones. That must be a powerful, to visit it is powerful as Walter's talking about, but to be a resident, that's a lot of baggage and Atelka, you've lived through this. What is it like to know that those people that are you're standing in line at the grocery store with, they were the secret police, they were the torturers, part of the, the evil uh, uh, government that you worked so hard to overcome and they've never been brought to justice?
1: It's a very, very hard issue, even for us who live in Hungary. Uh, We read and we heard about a lot on the television, in the newspapers, and uh, actually, people try to forget all about the communists, about the hard times, and we uh, want to live in peace. And uh, thank goodness, less and less people live. Who did all these crimes, and who weren't brought to justice, and they will never be brought to justice we we know we are sure about it, but if we know that somebody lives in your neighborhood we we do not feel any anything bad now we We try to f- forgive them
0: boy, I think that's a very pragmatic and th- it's got to be the only way to deal with that is just get beyond it and not yeah. have that burden, otherwise your whole life would be angry true Levante, any thoughts on uh, that yeah uh,
2: I would just like to interject with you. You know, Hungary, the very oppressive uh, communist regime ended in 1956. And then between 56 and uh, to the 80s, it was not as oppressive. Uh, you know, you couldn't do certain things. You got to watch what you were saying, but it, you didn't get executed. So a lot of times, yes, there are people who used to work for the secret police or counterespionage or some other entities of government. But Hungarians were not tortured in the 70s and 80s. And
0: So you're saying that Russians, Bulgarian, and Eastern Germans would have had, uh, had it worse? Oh, much worse. Really, much worse. Much, worse. much worse. Interesting, because my friends in Bulgaria, they have so much anger and fear in them. Uh, it goes way back to who was partisan and who was not before the war even and those mm-hmm. families are this way and we don't talk to them and these families are that way no you just
2: have to watch what you were thinking in the 70s and 80s yeah. but then like the mid 80s and on just kind of phased that so
0: and uh, Walter we're talking about this house of terror any other comments on the museum itself
4: other than it as you said it's a very moving very powerful place um I was wondering when they were going to put a little more of the displays because there's so much going on with video and everything else in Mm. English or at least in some other language.
0: You know, this is an uh, exceptional case because it really is designed, I think, for locals. And I was impressed by the place, like, over the top. I just thought it was a three-star site. I I celebrated it, and I really found that if I invested in the audio guide, I had no disadvantage from language point of view. The English audio guide in a lot of these museums makes up for the fact that they've kind of wimped out on putting up the English on all the displays and so on. So you've got to go with those audio guides.
1: We'll do that next time.
0: Walter, thanks for your call.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Just two months ago, I took my kids uh, to Budapest, to the House of Terrors, because a film was made, you, you should have read about, by Andrew Voino uh, about 1956 the children of glory and I organized a kind of memorial day about the 1950s so first I took them to the museum and they are 16 year old kids and unbelievable they really enjoyed the museum and one of my students came up to me and says miss I go home I bring my parents they should, wow. they, they should see this museum. And afterwards, we went to the cinema, and we saw the film about 1956.
0: And the name of that film is? Uh, the
1: Children of Glory.
0: Children of Glory. Glory. Talking about Hungary's struggle in the 50s. Yes, 56. Wow. 56. And
1: Actually, it's about the famous uh, water polo match. Uh, oh, okay. The Hungarians were in uh, Australia, and they won. They were the champions. And nobody knew about it in Hungary because it happened in 1956 and we won against the Russian.
0: Wow. I got to see that movie. It's, yeah, you should the, see. Again, I'm sorry, the name uh, is. Uh, Children of Glory. Children of Glory.
1: In Hungarian, it's Soboczak Seraland, Freedom and Love. But it is translated into English, Children of Glory.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And today we're traveling to Budapest with two friends of mine who are guides in Budapest, Levant Naj and Itelka Párene Barets. You know, Budapest was built as the head of a much larger empire than it governs today. Like Vienna, the city today feels a bit too grandiose for the capital of a relatively small country. But Budapest remains the heart and soul of Eastern Europe. It's a rich cultural stew made of Hungarians, Germans, Slavs, and Jews, with a dash of Turkish paprika simmered for centuries in a thermal bath. Each group left its mark, but through it all, something has remained that is distinctly Budapest. Levante and Natalca, when we talk about a country being a melting pot or a meeting place, do all of these cultures, we've got Hungarians, Germans, Slavs, Jews, Turks, do they melt in or do they maintain a distinct kind of quarter? Is there something Hungarian that's a little bit of all of this?
2: I'd like to say, unfortunately, they've all melted and it's more like a mosaic anymore. It... Uh, it Perhaps years ago and centuries ago, we had different districts for so, all these.
0: So you say, unfortunately, because you don't have the the cultural sort of celebration of these are the Turks and so on, but now it's all uh, melted correct. together. Correct. It's, it's all melted together. But, so, but it's know, distinctly Hungarian, nevertheless. Uh, uh,
2: very much so, and it's kind of fun to open up the phone book and see all the different last names. You can derive a lot from somebody's last name. Oh, I think. absolutely. Absolutely. We, I had classmates from all kinds of origins, uh, uh, German, Slovak, Romanian, Gypsy, Serbian, Jewish, and...
0: So people have assimilated. Absolutely. Quite happily? Yes.
2: I would say so, yes. Italka?
1: Yes, they assimilated. Uh, but during the centuries, we learned and we took over several new words and words from the Slavic language, German language, Turkish language. And for example, you wouldn't say that we have words from the Latin, no, sorry, uh, from the Italian language, mm-hmm. like uh, füge, fig, torta, cake. It's from the Renaissance. Mm. Uh, kavi, it's a very, very Turkish word.
0: For coffee. For coffee, yes. I always like to think this is where strudel meets baklava. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have the the cuisine spiced, really. Very true. Now, there's much more to uh, Hungarian cuisine than goulash, right?
1: Yeah, of course. Goulash... This is the right pronunciation. is one of our best and uh, most famous. But of course, the Hungarian cuisine is really rich. And just a week before, I went to the famous Gundel restaurant. It's uh, in uh, Pest side, yeah. in the uh, by the bath, by the bath, next yeah. to the bath. And I had the famous uh, Gundel pancake.
0: So that was a that's a traditionist the pancake a, then.
1: A pancake is a really tradition. Getting
0: back to this goulash, what is the correct pronunciation?
1: Goulash. Goulash. Goulash.
0: All right, now can you get a good goulash in the United States as you travel here, or does it make you homesick? You come over well, to my place. Yeah.
1: Well, I've got the ingredients, so if I cook, we will have a nice goulash. And what's so,
0: the what's the secret levante for your goulash? Well, it has to simmer forever.
2: Is that right? you got to spend the whole day, yes. There's no shortcuts, because otherwise the flavors just don't don't melt together.
0: Now, I, has, I think there's new regulations in the EU that requires people not to have their food sitting out a long time for hygienic reasons. Have you had to deal with that with your we traditional We do not cuisine? have
1: problem with this. This is mainly in Poland for their traditional meal, but the uh, we prepare it and we eat it. So no problem. Oh, okay. to- now, you,
0: you, you let it simmer, Levant, and yes. what about the ingredients? Can you get the proper ingredients here in the United and States?
2: Yes, yes, you can. You have to do a little bit of research. You have to go to uh, Whole Foods-type stores, and um, you have to look for Hungarian paprika. You can't... You know, uh, Is that right? Yes.
0: There's a difference? You can't substitute. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When you travel at Italca, uh, what do you do to manage when you're so far away from home?
1: Well, if I would show my uh, suitcase right now, uh, I could show you all the ingredients that you need to prepare a good guayash. i I've got the paprika, not the hot, the sweet, édes. I've got special spices. It's called vegeta. Then I've got some cream that is absolutely necessary to make a good guayash.
0: You flew Away from Hungary a few days ago, and you had all of that in your suitcase. In my
1: suitcase. it's just a small thing. Just, just in case you need <laughs> just to make a great. We don't guillage. take
0: chances. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I'm a tourist in in uh, Budapest or in Hungary, what should I, apart from goulash, what should I be sure to eat for the experience?
1: I would highly recommend to you the langos. 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 It's very traditional and very simple meal, and. All my kids can make the dough. Handmade dough is the best one, and whatever you want to put on it, you can. You can eat it with garlic, with uh, sour cream, with cheese, or just plain. So this is savory, not sweet. It's savory. It's not sweet, but you can eat as a sweet. And this is like a big
0: donut. It looks like it's a
1: like big, a big donut or a fried, fried deep uh,
0: fried, deep fried. So it's a deep fried Hungarian pizza donut. And and yes, you just but put not whatever
1: fat. you want on top of it. It's just delicious. <laughs> I wish,
0: our, I wish our, our listeners could see the, uh, <laughs> the love in your eyes as you're both talking about this langos.
1: <laughs> and imagine, uh, thank goodness, I've got uh, hundreds of friends all over the world and I easily make friends even in the street. And right now in the school, we have got a wonderful couple from Canada. They are teaching English, and when I invited them for a langosh party, it's a langosh party. They were just impressed with my langosh. So the wife Kitty now knows how to make langosh.
0: Now Levante, how do you spell langosh? It's L- L-A-N-G-O-S. Okay. And you see this in the market stalls, and it's kind of a street food. It's a festival yeah, it's, food. Yes, it's very yes. cheap, very it's fast, fast food. And you sit on a stool with local people, and it's right. just a great experience whenever you're in Hungary. Absolutely and, unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely unhealthy. No.
1: 100%. <laughs> Believe me, it's not fatty. It's just great. And when I went to school in the 1970s, every morning we had langos for breakfast from the market. So that was your standard morning meal. Yeah, and I've got a story. May I tell you? Sure. I met a couple. They were uh, from San Francisco, and they mentioned, you know, we had a really great uh, restaurant in San Francisco. They were making langos, hung, owned by a Hungarian couple, and they asked me, uh, will there be langos in Eger? And I, I told them, "Oh, I'm not sure. I was sure of course that there is a good place." So when we arrived Eger next morning, I got up early, went to the market, Bought two big langos for the couple, went to the door, knocked at the door and and told, Hey, room service, did you order langos? <laughs> they were so impressed. And they oh. uh, had a wonderful well Well, that, that's the mark
0: of a good tour guide, I think. Etelka <laughs> takes groups uh, w- with my my company around uh, Hungary and Eastern Europe, and that's a, a nice, thoughtful thing to do. We're talking about Budapest, and I've got two great guides with me, Levante and Etelka. And we've got some phone calls. Remember, our phone number is 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425.
5: If you like Hungarian food, they have a goulash, which is very good. Pompernico comes from Lithuania. Hacenberg. Fair fer comes from Pennsylvania. Smorgasbord in Sweden is the winner. In America, it's TV dinner. There you have one food from each land. Each one delicious, each one simply grand. Mix them all up in one big mishmash. And what have you got? Hungarian goulash. Hey!
0: More of your calls with Lamente and Etelkar just ahead as we explore the ins and outs of Budapest on today's Travel with Rick Steves.
2: This is Lamenta Nagy from Hungary, and I'd like to share with you the first lines of our national anthem. And see what it sounds like. meg a küzd Which means, in English, God bless the Hungarian with good spirit and abundance, extend your protective arm whenever they fight their enemy. If
0: you can't be in Budapest for St. Stephen's Day, that's a big holiday in Hungary, we're doing the next best thing with an hour on the Hungarian capital today on Travel with Rick Steves. Our guests, Levente and Atelka, are fielding your calls at 877-333-RIC as we share stories about Budapest and understand its importance as one of Europe's great cities. Mary in Seattle, thanks for your call. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) Pretty good. Good. Have you ever had a langos?
6: I had a lot of different cuisines while I was at Budapest with different dishes, and I'm not sure if I ever had that dish specifically.
0: I can relate. A lot of times you eat stuff, and it's good, and it's memorable, but what was it called? And yeah, you can't, exactly. can hardly talk yeah. about it. Uh, what, do you have a question or a comment for our guides?
6: Um, yeah. I was just wondering, um, now that the Iron Current has lifted, um, what are the uh, Europeans' opinion about traveling you know, to places like Budapest or Prague or...
0: You mean, what are the uh, Western Europeans uh, thinking uh-huh. about this? That's an interesting question. So, uh, all of their lives, they've had to deal with the uh, Iron Curtain, just like American travelers. And then, no more restrictions. How has Western Europe responded to that?
2: Yeah, yeah I think um, Mary. Yeah. Um, I think it hasn't really been a big problem. Hungary, even though we had the Iron Curtain, so to speak, Westerners were always welcome to come to Hungary, even during the the communist era, because they were bringing hard cash, hard currency. And, you know, the beauty of Budapest was always uh, uh, act as a magnet. People would just come and visit the city. We couldn't reciprocate it for a while between the 50s and and the 70s. Uh, But then once people started to make a little extra, um, the Hungarian government didn't mind if we went and uh, explored some other parts of the world. So I think Westerners came to Hungary in waves. First, especially Americans, they came early in the 80s when uh, they realized that there's a thaw in the the political environment, and the hardcore travelers, the hardcore uh, explorers came first, and they checked out Budapest and and Hungary. And then later on, you know, it became a fairly popular place to visit. But as far as Europeans are concerned, Western Europeans, they always came to Hungary. And in fact, fact, the East Germans and the West Germans, the only way they could meet um, Hmm. during the socialist communist era is uh, meeting in a a third place, which would be mainly Hungary because of the freedoms it, it offered.
0: So a lot of split families would actually rendezvous in Hungary.
2: In fact, the the largest lake in Central Europe, Lake Balaton, was always just uh, completely overwhelmed by German Eastern and Western German tourists, cousins, brothers. uh, They found this the only place to to be able to meet. In fact, uh, the wall coming down, the Berlin Wall coming down, had a lot to do with Hungary because the Hungarian government stopped to enforce uh, stopping the East Germans going westward. And at one point, so many East Germans figured it out that they, hmm. you know, planes, trains, and automobiles, they just came to Hungary to go to Austria. And uh, finally, the East Germans just said, you know what, it's, uh, it's a moot point crazy. to, to yeah.
0: enforce this anymore. Yeah. You know, I think uh, my impression was Germans always thought of Hungary as a real cheap Fun destination for just right. hearty food and great wine, and also because of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, a lot of people
2: spoke German fluently. So the Germans always felt comfortable coming to Hungary.
0: Mary, thanks for your call. Thank
5: you. No, thank you very
0: much. All right, and we have Olga on the line in Vancouver, Washington. Hi, Olga.
5: Hi, Rick. How you doing?
0: Great. Thanks for your call. Do you have any uh, comments or questions for our guests?
5: Comments. Um yeah. I um, am a first-generation Hungarian here, so my parents were both from Hungary. And my father's from the Pesh side of town. So I wanted to mention um, the wonderful festivals that happen um, in August, St. Stephen's Day on August 20th. I think it's a wonderful time for people to go and visit Hungary uh, before and after the 20th. They have wonderful um, fireworks on the 20th and air shows, and and you can go get langos on the (laughs) streets. And they have folk dancers, and it's just wonderful time to go.
0: That's our Fourth of July. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So Hungary does have a Fourth of July, and it is August twentieth. <laughs> yes. I mean, what you celebrate as yes. your yes. national yes, really well now? What is the? Why is that such a, a big day? What happened on that day?
1: On the twentieth of August, this is we celebrate our first king Istvan, Saint Stephen, mm-hmm. and this is the day of the new bread as well. And this is the day of the Constitution, so it's a really great celebration with fireworks in the evening. All right. Good tip
0: there, Olga. All right. Thank you. Hey, Olga, uh, can you relate to this langosh business?
5: Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, very much. I've been going back to Hungary since 1966, and um, I went back last summer with my children, and um, we went on a heritage trip. My father also joined us. And um, every city we were in, there was always a langoche stop for the children, and they loved it. And we make it at home, too.
0: Now, what do you like to put on your langos?
5: Um I like the garlic. Yeah.
0: The garlic. a big That's garlic. probably the unadorned uh, purist's langosh is a garlic longosh, <laughs> ga- I would imagine.
1: If you need the secret recipe, I will <laughs> let you know.
5: Oh, thank you very
0: much. The <laughs> secret recipe from Matelka. All right, Olga, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. And we have an email from Lisa in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, Lisa writes, As a person of Hungarian descent, I would love to know where the best spots are to visit within the country to learn about my heritage. Where are the Hungarian cultural and historical hotspots? That's an interesting question. There's a lot of Hungarian-Americans, Hungarian-Canadians. If they want to go back and connect with their roots, uh, any advice for them?
2: Um, There are different organizations. They can do it within the U.S. I think the Mormon Church is very instrumental in it. I also think that people of Jewish heritage have their own channels to track their ancestry down. Uh, if you want to go to Hungary and do it yourself in Hungary, you have to at least know the city or township where your ancestors are from and the religion they belong to. And then you can go to the church, local church, and they kept very good records.
0: Hopefully they were not destroyed
2: during the World War.
0: And you could probably uncover or, or discover some distant relatives and it would be a wonderful connection in some town that would be completely untouristic. Yes. In the countryside. Mm Mm-hmm. What a great great opportunity. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're traveling through Budapest with Levant and Italka, two friends and tour guides from that great city, the capital of Hungary. We just heard from a caller, uh, Italka and Levante, about the many different ethnic groups and so on within Hungary, and, of course, it's a city that's long been famous as a center for Jewish culture. And before World War II, I understand 25% of Budapest was actually Jewish. Uh, today, after the Holocaust, there's, uh, of course, far fewer Jewish people in Budapest, but there still is that strong Jewish heritage. If you're traveling through Budapest, what's your advice if you're interested in checking into the Jewish story of that city?
1: In Budapest, for example, the synagogue, it was restored just a few years ago and a huge and a great place for concerts, for example. And with the Jewish culture, the klezmer music became very popular in Hungary. And just three or four years ago, when the restored synagogue was opened, I went to the Klezmer concert with my daughter it was a present for her 21st birthday and we just enjoyed wow. just imagine thousands of people standing in the line going into the synagogue and we enjoyed the concert
2: Your American listeners probably also want to know that uh, Tony Curtis was born in Budapest mm-hmm. and uh, of Jewish heritage of course and he uh, donated a lot of money for the construction of the synagogue
0: Now this great synagogue you walk in and Physically, it feels like a church, and I understand Mm -hmm. it was built uh, in the 19th century when the Jewish community wanted to assimilate or be accepted, and they wanted to kind of put on a veneer of Western Christian kind of style. Of course, it's still a a synagogue, no compromises theologically, but architecturally, it does look like a church. It's like a church. Do I understand that correctly? They did that as an attempt not to be discriminated against?
2: Yeah. Uh, perhaps, but it, nevertheless, it, it is very spiritual, very beautiful inside and out.
0: And just behind that is this, what do they call it, the Tree of Life, which of is a, Life. a memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. Yeah. Oh, what a powerful, it's like an upside down menorah with countless leaves, leaves and on each silver leaf the is maize. the name of a person Victim. who was lost. Uh, yeah. Correct. When you go to Budapest, you've got to check that. It's one of the great, powerful memorials to remember, one of the horrors. of. of
1: And this is the second biggest synagogue in the world Uh, after New York, I think this is the, and in Europe, it's the biggest one.
0: We have an email from Jane in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and, and she writes, recently traveled to Budapest and loved it, but should alert others that the metro cops are on the lookout for tourists. We were stopped twice. They wanted to see that our tickets were validated and to see that we purchased a second uh, ticket when we transferred lines. We didn't, and we were fined $11 each. Yes. So the tourists have to be careful of the... Uh, these, what are these? The, the, these are the, the, the transit cops. The that, sub, yes, the subway subway cops. Because as a tourist, you could think that, oh, it's easy. Nobody, a lot of tourists think nobody's got tickets, they're all cheating, but these are local people who have monthly passes, I believe.
2: Right. Yes, you can get really fairly inexpensive monthly passes, and a lot of the younger crowd who doesn't have that kind of money would rather spend it on something else. They a get long-wash. it from their parents, Only spending spend on a long um, These kids would just, you know, skip and not but pay. But the
0: cops know how to stop you in a way you can't escape. I mean, all Correct. of a sudden you're on an escalator going down, and there's two policemen at the bottom, and you can't go back up. Right. And it's just hello officer. Yes. Where's my ticket? <laughs> oh, I lost it. Yeah, right. So they don't cut you any slack. Uh I guess the 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 penalties are not going to put you in the poorhouse.
2: No, but uh
0: you know, it, it, I think it's the embarrassment more so than yeah. the than it's the just penalty. Bad. it's just bad. And one of the one of the good bits of heritage from uh the Communist Times, I think is an excellent public transit system at an yes, affordable it's price. Wonderful. It's really incredible. It's to wonderful. Get my dad
2: who is 68 has never driven. Doesn't have a driver's license and my Brother, who's in his thirties, has no driver's license. And it's not
0: a political or an environmental statement. Oh no, I never got around to it. I mean, my friends in Budapest—they swing through the city like um, Tarzan in the perfect jungle. You know, (laughs) it's just great. Here's the swinging from here to there and hopping off the subway and onto the trolley, and it's just a lot of fun from a traveler's point of view. Just to use that. Anita's on the line in Fair Oaks, California. Hi, Anita. Oh, hi. Thanks for your call.
6: Well, you. Pretty much covered everything I wanted to say.
0: <laughs> well, hooray! Let's have a um, longos. I um,
6: went visited Budapest last year um, in the springtime, uh, visiting my son who had, was going to school there for a year. So I kind of got to see it from a student perspective, that cheap student perspective, and it's really a, a wonderful place to go for for kids. He managed to master the the city wonderfully and just some of the things that i think everybody should see clearly are the house of terror and the and understanding the connection between the, the the communist the historical perspective of budapest um you did talk about the the one synagogue there is another synagogue that's just down the street that's not open all the time but they do take a tour and it's it's being re- restored and it has some of the most beautiful islamic looking tile and um, stained glass. It's going to be beautiful when it's completed. It's lovely now. The one thing I think that my son said that was to us when when he was sending us off is just, he would point us in a direction, give us a map, and say, just get lost. (laughs) You can always find your way back. And so we just had some wonderful times just wandering around. And it's it's a great city just to walk in, and and we had a great time, and I just hope lots of people visit it, because it's a wonderful place.
0: All right, Anita, thanks for your comments. You. You're welcome. And I think that's good advice, uh, just to walk in one direction, and you'll be surprised at how much fun you can stumble into. And you might find yourself in one of these great uh, nostalgic old-world buffets, or the, the Jäg Buffet Jäg is one buffet. of my favorite. Tell us about the... What's so special about the Yeg Buffet? My
1: favorite is the Jäg Buffet. Whenever I'm in Budapest, Sure, I go to the buffet because I get a wonderful cake, a cheap one. And it reminds me, actually, the communist times, which wasn't really bad in uh, each sense. Because first I go look around, wonderful cakes uh, in the window. Uh, I choose my cake. Then I go to the lady, to the cashier. I pay for my cake, what I want to eat. Uh, She gives me a kind of receipt. I walk back to the other counter. Uh, to the counter counter with, with 50 with different cakes, cakes there, and you've got your favorite cake. I got cake. my favorite. And I stand and enjoy my uh, wonderful cake, and uh, it's really delicious. With a good coffee. With a, of course. With a good
0: coffee. Remembering that this is part of the Habsburg Empire, and it has that Viennese culture that survives style. today. I've been talking with Levante and Etelka, two great friends and guides from Budapest. What a wonderful city. And for me, when I stand on the top of the hill in Budapest, near the castle, near the church. And I've got this, ahead of, on, a, on a column, there's a bird. What is the bird called, the turol? Turo. Turo. And apparently, this is where, 1,100 years ago, the Magyars, right. the, the nomadic, rampaging Magyars, this bird said, this is the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where the Hungarian people settled. And yeah. you're surrounded by so much tumultuous history and so many different ethnic groups and, and such a rich culture. When you stand there as a Hungarian and you look out over the city across the Danube, tell me what you think.
1: Well, I think that the bird is flying in front of the seven tribes, our great leader, Árpád, and holding a sword and dropping the sword and pointing out, this is your land. You should live here, survive. And that was Árpád. That was Árpád. What year was that? It was in 986. 986. <laughs> More than 1,100 years ago. In Levante, what do you think when you say
2: in that spot? To me, it's always a, always a homecoming. I, I really love that spot. I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's just a wonderful place to look at the city and the welfare of the city from that vantage point. Um, I think the bird kind of represents, um, the wingspan of the bird kind of represents an umbrella and how how we've made it, and how we, this nation was able to come together under this one umbrella. A protective a umbrella. protective umbrella. Sort of, of the and, culture. And to have made it. We've gone through so many occupations and liberations and whatever you want to call them, and we're still there. You're still under there. Under one umbrella, yes. And the bird's still there with its bird's big,
0: protective, cultural umbrella. Correct. That's beautiful. And for me as a tourist and a traveler to hear two Hungarians really explain in a, in a touching honest from the heart way the value of something that a lot of tourists just look at and think that's another postcard it's a reminder that when we travel we can really better understand this fascinating and beautiful world thank you both for joining us today as we've learned a lot thank about. you very much thank you thank you. thanks a lot
7: hey won't you talk with me a while talk about anything you want to walk with me just for a few more miles Till we get to Budapest. That the dancing in the theater is best, and everybody in the crowd thinks they're a gentleman, even though they were arrested the day before. That the lawyers are all famous, even the renter of the smallest room has his best. Policeman guards the public peace And the street light burns till the morning breeze No, we won't look back down in Budapest No, we won't be looking back down in Budapest
1: Hi, I am De Berecetelko. I'm going to tell you a Hungarian tongue twister. Reparetek mogyoró, korán reggel ritká rikkant arigó. In English, carrots, radishes, peanuts, early morning, quail seldom chirps. In Hungarian again, Reparetek mogyoró, korán reggel ritká rikkant That's good, thank you. You are welcome to a langos party to my house whenever you are in Hungary. Don't forget.
0: And you have the paprika. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Travel with Rick Steves is
4: produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. That's where you can look up information on today's program. Listen again in our audio archives and find links to audio and video podcast features. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of the show or add your comments in our ongoing message boards. The people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include communication support from Robin Stencil and Rachel Unk with technical support from Jonathan Lee. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we Travel with Rick Steves. Rick's weekly one-hour radio
2: program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 100 cities across the country. Listen to podcasts of past shows in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick's public television series, Rick Steves Europe, also airs throughout the USA. You'll find the latest on Rick's TV and radio work, as well as his guidebooks and his free-spirited European tour program at ricksteves.com.